Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, we'll be reading the chapter in its entirety. It's a little bit long, but um, I didn't know where to break it up. So, David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succoth and Ezekah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and a shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come up? out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judea named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and third, Shammah. David was the youngest. His three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to their battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, but you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lion and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them on. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran, stood over the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul and the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Thus far the reading of God's word. And each week we remember that even though the grass withers and the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. And as we read this narrative portion, Lord, we're just um, reminded again, Lord, of your faithfulness. And Lord, as we look at this, Lord, just pray that you would just give us open hearts and open ears, that we just may uh, forget, Lord, the, the worries and the concerns we have of this world, Lord, but that um, we just focus upon you and, and who you are, and Lord, I just pray that uh, I may, my voice may not be a hindrance, Lord, but ultimately that uh, your voice, your word goes forward, Lord, and uh, that you are honored. All this we ask in your name. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin to look at First Samuel this morning... I would dare to venture and say this is probably one of the most well-known narrative passages in the Old Testament. David and Goliath. 
Who doesn't know this? And don't we love to tell this story? I'm afraid, including me, that we all love a story about the underdog, so to speak. This is a story that fills so many children's books, or so many movies, it's often set up with a strong opponent seeking the harm of a weakless, helpless individual, and somehow, by circumstances of good fortune or chance, one witnesses the underdog winning the battle or the fight. And often, it seems there's an added sense of, of sweetness if, there was, if there's revenge taken out on the one that is subduing the weaker character. And that is what just about drives every successful movie or every classic movie that has been produced. We love to see this. And quite often, I'm afraid that the story of David and Goliath is a story that we love to tell and that quite often this is the same picture that gets put out. There's a picture in every one of our children's books at homes we have. It's a picture of David and there is a picture of a large man behind him with a, a brook or a small stream running in between with a few small stoves and we, stones. And we like to tell this story to our children and to others. And often, I'm afraid that we break the Old Testament portions out in a way that it was never meant to be told. We forget to look at the umbrella of God's redemption of his people when we come to these stories. So often, in these narrative portions, we imply that David slayed the giant on the basis of works righteousness. Just like David slayed the giant, you need to slay the giants in your life. You, and if you have failed, you simply need more faith. And this message often works till we don't have the strength till we don't have the willpower to pull up our bootstraps and we fail in fighting the giants in our life. When we fail, often the message is told, you need to just try harder. We could say that this is often applied to most of the Old Testament narratives. We are told to have faith like Daniel. If we pray three times a day, facing towards Jerusalem with an open window, all will be well when you're dropped in the lion's den. Or like Daniel's three friends of the fiery furnace, often in these Old Testament passages, the story comes out. You just need to meet, you just need to have more faith. You need to work harder. We must become more like David. But doesn't this run directly in contrast to the New Testament of one that Christ's righteousness is what is imputed upon his children, that the just will live by faith alone? If we tell the Old Testament stories of one, of one needing to be just trying harder and the New Testament of one of Christ's righteousness alone, we have a contradiction within Scripture. This morning, we're going to ponder as we look at the story and account of David in 1 Samuel 17, and it is one of not needing to just try harder. Firstly, we're going to look at the continued contrast between Saul and David. Secondly, we will look at David's response to Goliath's threats. And thirdly, we will see how David is a picture of Christ. Firstly, as we open, we need to look more at David and Saul. The last few weeks, Pastor Aaron has spent quite a bit of time on the contrast between David and Saul. 
The servants of Saul last week in chapter 16, verse 18, had said that David was there and the Lord was with him. This is in contrast to Saul. Last week we've seen that an evil spirit had tormented Saul. But we need to go even further back. A few weeks ago, when we were in 1 Samuel 9, when Saul was chosen to be king over his people, we read that there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Ibel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphijah, a Benjamite. Take note of this. This is of a significant problem because when we go back to Genesis 48, where we have the account of Jacob blessing his sons, Jacob was in Egypt at this time, and Jacob was advanced in years and ill and nearing the end of his life. Why don't you just turn to Genesis 48, and we'll read a couple of verses from Genesis 48 of the, the blessing that Jacob gives to his sons. And we'll start at verse 8 here in Genesis 49. Sorry, Genesis 49. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's club. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here back in Genesis 49, God through Jacob promised that from this line of the line of Judah, that kingship, that leadership, where one scepter would, would not depart from, would come from. The people's choice had been for a king from Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin, one looking towards the outside appearance. As we have seen in the past few months, Saul was handsome. Actually, there was not a more man, handsome man than Saul in all of Israel. He was actually a head taller than any other person, and he was wealthy. This is a problem because Saul was chosen because of these reasons. We will not spend much time this morning in the Lord's instructions to anoint David as king because Pastor Aaron spent quite a bit of time on this two weeks ago. But just as a recap, in chapter 16, as Jesse has his sons pass by Samuel to see which one the Lord has chosen, and as Eliab, the eldest son, passes by, the Lord says to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is in contrast in these two men as we look at Saul and David. The people had chosen someone to lead them that was beautiful, that was handsome, that was wealthy, one that had influence. And we all know this has nothing to do with leadership. But even as we are looking at these two men, even as we start this, we need to be reminded that neither one of these two men are worthy of leading God's people. We often look at Saul and are reminded and we think of his many shortcomings and failures. It's easy to do. 
But as we started out this morning, it's easy for us to forget all about David's shortcomings. We tend to hold up David as a model man in 1 Samuel 17. But we forget of David fleeing to the land of the Philistines when Saul was pursuing and seeking him. He he sought out refuge from Achish, the king of Gath, instead of trusting in the Lord's provision. Or we tend to diminish David's adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah. Or we can think of the discord and brokenness of the family with Ammon and Tamar, along with at the end of David's life, when God told him not to take a census, but he still did. And because of David's action, Israel suffered under the plague of the angel. We need to be reminded in this passage that in spite of David's sinfulness, God still uses him. And as we go forward in this passage this morning, we must be reminded that as David defeated Goliath, we must realize that it is only because of how great God is. It is God that saves. The point of the passage is God protects and preserves his people. God uses a man from the tribe of Judah to save his people. Secondly, this morning, we're going to look at David's response to Goliath. Now, as we start with today's passage, we see the Philistines gathered for battle. They were at Succoth. This was in Judah's territory. They were on the mountain on one side, and Israel, the men of Saul, stood on the mountain on the other side of the valley. Now, at this time, it was very common to have a champion or a representative sent out to do battle. Quite often this occurred so there would not be massive bloodshed. Only one person would be sent out to do battle for the army. The one person that was sent from the Philistine camp as a representative was Goliath. And as he stood and shouted to the camp of Israel, he said, Am I not a Philistine? and you not servants of Saul. This was a direct challenge to the God of Israel. It was strongly believed at this time that it was the gods of each nation that won the battle. And whoever won the battle, that nation's God was the greatest. If we think back to 1 Samuel 4, a few months ago, in a previous battle, Israel had with the Philistines, and they lost due to their unfaithfulness, Israel was defeated in battle, and by taking the situation into their own hands, wondering why the Lord had left the people, they came up with an idea in the camp to bring the Ark of the Covenant amongst them. The army foolishly believed that the presence of the Ark was a good luck charm and that it would save them from the power of their enemies. A few verses later we read that the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a god has come into the Israelite camp. And they said, Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Israel lost the battle, and we know that the ark of God was captured. As the Philistines would have seen it at that time, their god, Dagon, had defeated Israel's god by the capturing of the god of Israel. They and their God had prevailed over the God of Israel. 
But as we are looking, even at this passage, it was an insult of Goliath to shout out to the armies of Israel, Are you not servants of Saul? Because Israel's army, they were not servants of Saul, but they were servants of the Most High God. Again, as we look at verse 10, the Philistine says, I defy the ranks of Israel. Goliath here is begging someone to come and fight. He is insulting the nation. He is insulting their honor, but mostly Goliath is insulting their God. Goliath says, give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all the Israelites heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. One of the greatest fears that Saul had was concerning outward appearances. Saul himself was a two-meter-tall man, remember? A head taller than anyone else. And yet the greatest fear that he had was another man, one that was just a little bit taller than he was. Saul was a man who had really nothing left. You see, brothers and sisters, without God, one has nothing. Last week we seen an evil spirit from the Lord tormenting Saul. No wonder Saul was afraid. He had been forsaken by God. When we look at our lives, what are we without God? All one can do, if all one can do then is to measure oneself to others around himself. And oh how empty that is. As we jump ahead to verse 24, we see not only Saul, but all the men of Israel. When they saw Goliath, they fled, and they were very much afraid. It is at this point when David enters the scene. He is right now, he is right now not there as a soldier, but as the son of Jesse. Jesse's oldest sons are on the battlefront. We were introduced to these brothers last week and in the passage. Eliab was the oldest, followed by Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David's father, Jesse, is simply looking for a report. He sends along a few supplies of some bread and cheese and flour, and we have David coming on the scene. David went to greet his brothers, and as he was talking with them, Goliath came up from the ranks of the Philistines, and he said the same words he had said for 40 days long. Before we go any further in this passage, let's jump to verse 37. Sorry. Verse 37. And David said, that the Lord who delivered me from the hand, from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. As we have David entering the scene, he views this entire situation from the viewpoint as the child of a covenant-keeping God. There is something that we must take note of. Each day, we enter situations. We enter conversations. We're in relationships with people. We come into contact with many. And there is no way to enter any situation from a neutral viewpoint. 
We must note that just like David and Saul, that we enter every situation and relationship from a different worldview. And here we have a sharp contrast to the one of Saul and the one of David. David enters the scene as one who believes, and he trusts in God's faithfulness. One who believes God's covenant promises to the land they are on, that God promised to the Israelites as a result of David's view of God's faithfulness, he asks a question in verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David right away understands what is going on. This is in contrast to Saul, who, underst who understands that Goliath is a challenge. Saul does not understand that this is a challenge to God. And David understands that this is a challenge to God. David understands that Goliath is challenging the God of the Israelites. David, a boy and a shepherd. He is there on behalf of a mission of his father, Jesse. One who was made fun of by his older brothers a few verses earlier. This young man is offended because God's name is publicly being mocked. It hurts David. And this should also ask us to question ourselves to each one of us who is a child of God. Does it hurt us when we see sin flourishing? Does it bother us when we openly see God being mocked in the culture around us? When God's name is dishonored around us? When we see celebrate, sin celebrated in our culture? Because as God's children, your meaning, your purpose, your identity is attached to God. And if it does not bother us, we should do some deep soul-searching questions in, and spend time in prayer. Pastor Aaron shared a couple paragraphs from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's sermon this past week on social media. He shared this from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, We admire a man who was firm in the faith, say, 400 years ago. But such a man today is a nuisance, and he must be put down. We call him a narrow-minded bigot, or give him a worse name if you can think of one. Yet imagine that in those ages past, Luther, Swingley, Calvin, and their compeers had said, the world is out of order, but if we try set it, set it right, we shall only make a great roll and get ourselves into disgrace. Let us go to our chambers, put on our nightcaps, and sleep over the bad times, and perhaps when we wake up, things will have grown better. Such conduct on their part would have entailed upon us a heritage of error. Age after age would have gone down into the infernal depths, and the prestigious bogs of error would have swallowed all. These men loved the truth and the name of Jesus too well to see it trampled on. It is today as it was in the Reformer's day. Decision is needed. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? We have had the gospel passed to us, but our martyr hands dare not trifle with it, nor sit by and hear it denied by traitors who pretend to love it, but inwardly abhor every line of it. Look, you, sirs, there are ages yet to come if the Lord does not speedily appear. There will come to a turning point in the road if we turn to the right 
may hap our children, and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and his word. But going back to when David enters the scene, David is also entering it as a shepherd. Now this is significant as well. Throughout God's word, we see the picture of leaders as shepherds, leaders protecting God's people, leading his people. We can think of the patriarchal Jacob we mentioned earlier of being a shepherd. The sons of Jacob, the 12 brothers of Jacob's being shepherds. Moses spending 40 years training in shepherding Jethro's sheep as a shepherd being prepared to shepherd God's people in the wilderness for 40 years. Kings are seen as shepherds. Prophets are seen as shepherds. Psalm 78 verse 70 says, He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, in his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. David here is described as a shepherd of God's people, one who would lead them and guide them. David is not only a shepherd, but as the Lord's anointed, he is from the line of Judah. And this leads us up to the third point of David as a picture of Christ. We have just seen the picture of David being a shepherd of God's people, but we also need to see David as a representative of God's people. Goliath was shouting to the people of Israel, I will be a representative of the Philistines, Send to be a man who will represent you to fight me. Goliath says in verse 9, If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Bodhibakam said, So what God's people need at this moment is someone who will walk down into the valley as a representative of the people of God and face the enemy of the people of God and defeat the enemy of the people of God so that in him all the people of God will be victorious over this enemy because he serves as their representative substitute. Does this sound familiar? David accepted the challenge on behalf of Israel and walked into that valley as Israel's substitute to fight their adversary on their behalf. Christ is the true shepherd representing God's people. Romans 5 verses 18 till 19 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience that the many will be made righteous. The father chose the son, the great shepherd and judge, to be the mediator of a people. He would stand in their place as a representative. Or we can go to 1 Peter 2, verses 24 to 25. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to in righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our representative died on a tree, and in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, 
for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is the great shepherd king. David is a foreshadow of going into the valley and facing Goliath. We see a picture of Christ, and each one of us needs to ask, does Christ represent you? Christ lived a perfect life of obedience, bore his children's sins, suffered the full wrath of God that was due to us. Does Christ represent you as Christ defeated sin and death and hell? bringing victory on his children's behalf, bringing forgiveness to you for your sins. Has Christ's righteousness been imputed? Are you known by the Father? The second thing we see of David as a picture of Christ is that he defends the people. David says in verse 26, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Or again in verse 36, David says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And again in verse 45, David says to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. David, as a defender of God's people, does not believe that the giant will be killed because of his great skill of a sling and five smooth stones. David does not believe that Goliath will be killed because of his faith. It is because of how great God is. David never says he can kill the giant because of his skill, but it is because of the greatness of his God. It is because Goliath defies the living God. This is what makes it so wrong for us to say we need to be more like David. David never says he can slay Goliath, but the Lord will deliver him because of the greatness of the living God. David has attended the flocks of sheep and protected them from the lion and the bear. And now as newly appointed king from the lion of Judah, his responsibility was to defend the people, not by his strength, but because of the greatness of God. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Or let's turn to Hebrews 7, verses 22 till 25, and just read the, the picture of Christ as our high priest uh, defending his children. Hebrews 7, 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. Just a beautiful picture of Christ defending and making intercession for his children. Thirdly, this morning, we need to think about David as a picture of Christ's righteous wrath. In verse 45, David says to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Let's just jump to verse 50 as well. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine on the head and killed him. There was not a sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Here we see David as the shepherd king, as God carries out God's righteous judgments. God's wrath and vengeance are on display. So often we don't like to think about God like this. We would rather think of Jesus as a gentle and a mild and a meek shepherd. But here we see David as a foreshadow of Christ as one acting in wrath, as one acting in judgment. Here we see David acting in a godly fashion with a slingshot and a stone. It was bloody and it was violent and it was done to honor God. This is essential. We need to understand this to understand God's righteousness. We need to understand what the king is all about. Later in 2 Samuel 7, David is promised that his throne would be established forever. And later in Matthew 2 verse 6, Matthew records... And in you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here we have the true lion from the, line, from the line of Judah who will bring all God's enemies to justice. We can also look at John's vision into heaven in Revelation 19 verse 11 where John records, Then I saw then I saw in heaven, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a white robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white robes. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we are closing today, we may ask, for those of us who are God's children, as we read these narrative portions of the Old Testament, we see God's faithfulness. We, we witness how God upholds his name. But how do we apply that in our day? Life is a struggle on this fallen world. But are we yet heavenly minded? Yes, there are struggles. We live in a fallen world and battle sin each day. But how do we walk in the light of the Lord's word 
with faithfulness, joy of believing in God's provisions of the Savior, the joy of believing in our representative of Christ. Christ is the true shepherd from the line of Judah. As we look at David, we see a life redeemed by Christ. David's life was one of one who was redeemed by the true shepherd of God's people. We cannot and must not think of trying to be more like David, but we must look to the true shepherd, the Lamb of God who conquered sin and death. Like David, do you live with hope? Do you live with courage? Do you live with joy? Do you live out a desired life to manifest the word of God in your life? Do you live as one that has been redeemed? May God's word continually remind us of our great shepherd king, who brings victory over sin and death, who makes intercession for his children. Romans 8 verse 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is interceding for us. May these verses encourage us to walk in faith alone, to the glory of Christ alone. May we trust in our shepherd king and daily flee to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, as we read through these narrative portions, Lord, we just see your name and your honor upheld, Lord. Lord, we do look forward one day, Lord, for your children someday to be in your presence and just to be in your glory, Lord, where, Lord, you judge with righteousness and truth and we will be singing praises to you. And, Lord, even as we read this, we just see of your faithfulness and, and who you are. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Help us, Lord, as, as people to leave here, Lord, just enjoy, Lord, of of who you are and help us to live out lives, Lord, that are redeemed. Help us to walk in truth, Lord, to expose darkness, but only to do that, Lord, to give you glory, to give you praise. Lord, we do pray it to be anyone here, Lord, that does not know you, who is fleeing from you, who is looking to self, Lord, and, and comparing themselves to those around them instead of looking to your perfect moralness, Lord, that you would just work in in their hearts, Lord, and just cause them to flee to Christ. All this we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.